Well, the thing I'm seeing the most is the shift from technology users becoming pure consumers of solutions and, and strategies into purveyors of value. And that means they're looking at the big picture of their partnerships. They're looking at things like platforms and not products. They're looking things at things like partners, not vendors. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun, strategic IT advisor to InterVision. A few months ago, I was having dinner with a former colleague turned friend. He's an avid listener of Status Go. I don't know if he's missed an episode yet, and, and we just launched episode 200. So uh, that's a lot of listening to Status Go. Anyway, over dinner, he issued a challenge. And I don't know if he really saw it as a challenge when he said it. I, I think he was just providing some feedback on the podcast, but I took it to heart. He said, and I'm paraphrasing just a little bit here. He says, Jeff, you have to keep it fresh. Keep looking for new angles, new ideas. Keep looking for fresh perspectives. So in this episode, we're going to do just that. We are going to look at the state of technology from, well, the other side of the desk from most of our listeners. You know, the side of the desk where the sales professional sits. I'm honored to welcome my friend Sam Fuladgard to the show. Sam is the Area Director of Sales for InterVision out of Santa Monica. I've had the pleasure of sitting beside Sam in the offices of several clients and prospects. And I can tell you this, he is always focused on the client's best interest. Sam, welcome to Status Go, my friend. Thank you, Jeff. It's truly an honor to be with you. Well, as, as I said in the intro, we're going to talk about technology from the other side of the desk. Uh, and uh, it, it was interesting in my own career that I had the opportunity to switch sides of the desk. As you know, uh, I was an IT practitioner, was a CIO, and then I joined Blue Lock and then uh, ultimately InterVision and got a chance to uh, understand a lot more about our business and our uh, the way technology works and the way providers think about technology. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. Before we get into that, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background uh, with our listeners, kind of your journey. What brings you to where you are today? Uh, my journey actually was pretty circuitous route. I started out uh, in my academic years thinking I would want to go into politics and then into law, and it really helped me understand that I wanted to work in the area where I could have the most impact. So that's what led me to economics, actually. I started thinking about the way people make rational decisions, and I really found something that resonated with me as I discovered the way um, consumer decisions are made, the way businesses operate. And I landed my dream job at the World Bank very early on. It was with the Information Solutions Group at the World Bank. That's the internal IT organization that supports 200,000 employees at the World Bank and I was working in D.C., with their corporate finance teams. So I got to see how budgets hit projects along uh, digital transformation in the early 2000s. And what I learned was 
that technology is actually what's driving change. Yes, the economics are what's driving the decisions behind it, but technology is having the most transformational impact and where the most leverage was being applied for these organizations to move forward. Even though I was working on, for example, an anti-corruption project um, that was near and dear to my heart, it was through the lens of technology that the World Bank was driving to enable people to combat corruption. I just realized this is where any change can be implemented. But it was a government organization, and that was the World Cup year, and everything shut down for six weeks while people were partying. And I just thought, I'm probably not going to make my best impact there. So then I started to work with a consulting company, had some great mentors, and I got a chance to look at how businesses were using technology. And I was blown away. I was blown away. I got to see hospitality organizations, gaming companies, um, payroll service providers, and I was hooked. My problem there was that it was a lot of theory and not a lot of rubber hitting the road. Um, my older brother was working for Intervision at the time and he needed help. He wanted someone he could beat up that he could uh, you know, <laughs> manage because it wasn't working out with other employees. And he showed me what it was like and I, I, was, uh, I fell in love with the opportunity and I moved out to LA 16 years ago, started making cold calls and beating on um, lead lists and worked my way up to managing accounts. And what I love about technology and uh, being a technology consultant and um, sales consultant is that we are where the rubber is hitting the road. These are projects that are um, supporting household companies. They're, um, they're delivering outcomes that are approachable and consumable by me, a consumer. And it's um, very tangible. And, um, you know, you're working with people at the same time. And that's what makes it fun and rewarding. I love how you describe it, man. You, you first of all, I got to say, uh, big brothers have a way of, of being able to beat us up, right? Yeah, it's a special working <laughs> relationship. <laughs> but, I, but I love the way you describe it. Um, you didn't call yourself a sales professional. You didn't call yourself business development. You didn't call yourself uh, account executive. You used the word sales consultant. Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned at the at the beginning. I've had the opportunity to be in the room while while, while you're while you're working with your clients, and that is exactly how I would describe it. Now that you say it, you're consulting mm -hmm. with them, trying to identify and understand the problem that they have, and help them find their way to the solution. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what Absolutely. you're doing. Yeah, it was always a dream of mine to blend the world of um, of consulting which was the, always just such a ambition of mine to become a consultant. I mean, what those guys do, you know, the big four consulting firms is, is amazing, but make it practical and make it, you know, approachable for, um, for, for people to work with and not to keep it in the ivory tower. So I try to maintain that mentality and uh, it served me well, you know, to try and blend those worlds of just, it's not just sales and it's not just consulting. It's making it all come together. So I've tried to embody that. Well, and, and I, I love the, 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 the value that can come out of some of those conversations. Yes, your, your role is to uh, provide solutions to clients' problems. But the other thing that comes out of, of, of the conversations that you're able to have is an interesting perspective across a wide variety of verticals, uh, across a wide variety of technologies into what's on the mind of the, 
of the person on the other side of the desk that you're talking to. And we, we jokingly were talking in our, uh, in our prep call about, Hey, let's start with spy balloons. Uh, because, uh, as you recall, when we were having that conversation oh, yeah. it was right after they had shot that down, but, but in all seriousness, um, where is security in the minds of the people that you're working with some are, is it still the number one thing on their mind or is it, top five where, where does it fall and what yeah. are they thinking about yeah i think that it, it is um it depends on how how you scope the security conversation mm-hmm. uh, it can be very narrow i mean people could think about security as hey there's a breach we have to react to it incident response you know triage tier one or they can just thinking about security as risk just mm-hmm. overall risk and depending upon how wide you cast that net you're definitely going to at least see it in the top three if not number one in all yeah. these conversations. Yeah. And you were talking about, you know, blending experiences across verticals. Um, yeah, the spy balloons come up because as I saw that was happening, I'm thinking to myself, you know, yes, this could be a threat or it could just be a enemy that's testing our, um, our defenses. They're just kind of probing, you know, yeah. and that can be done, you know, red team or blue team. That can be done right. uh, defensively or preventatively, or it can be done, you know, as a threat. And, um, you know, different industries see security in different ways, whether it's media entertainment companies that I work with that are trying to protect IP and keep pre-release content pre-released yeah. or healthcare companies that are trying to protect PII. Um, and, you know, even something that I've seen is that it's, it's becoming something that more people are uh, becoming conversant in, whereas security, I think for a long time, had a cachet to it. It was very intimidating for common business users yeah. and end users to approach and discuss. We're finally getting to a place where the vernacular is um, is you know being able to be addressed in a typical meeting across the organization, from frontline workers to knowledge workers to executives. And uh, I think that's really important. That's really helpful yeah. because it's really not that different from protecting your house. You know, at the end of the day, you got cameras and door locks. It's really all practical if you boil it down and we don't need to overcomplicate yeah. the lingo. It's, it's that socializing of the concepts, right, that, that, that has happened over, over time. Uh, the, the other thing that comes to mind, again, I've got this image of the spy balloon mm-hmm. uh, floating through space, right, is uh, uh, PTAS, penetration testing as a service, because really that was like a cyber attack, right? I mean, I know it was, but... But for a company, yeah. uh, you may not have this uh, spy balloon floating into your data center, but you've got these people that are trying to penetrate your defenses and snoop things out all the time, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's coming from places that people can't even anticipate, whether it's an IoT device that's plugged into a, you know, an electrical port. And staying on top of that, you know, at least people are able to talk about it now. At least people are able to conceptually see how these attacks are happening. And I think that that's a good thing. It's, a, it's unfortunate that it's so prevalent and um, there's so much um, energy and time being devoted on these uh, defenses, but at least people are are aware and conversant in these issues now. Yeah. So it, yeah. it doesn't have to remain a mystery that long because the longer we're in this unknown, unknown phase, the, the, the less able we are to adapt and protect ourselves from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you're out having these conversations, uh, Sam, what are some of the, I'll call them trends, but, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a, 
perspective of the conversations that you're having, what, what are some common threads that you're seeing emerge here in 2023? We're, we're, as we're recording this, we're about two and a half months in. What are yeah. some things that you're seeing uh, in these conversations? Well, the thing I'm seeing the most is the shift from um, technology users becoming pure consumers of solutions and integrators of products and strategies into purveyors of value. And that's a, a term that um, our mutual friend, Anita Nielsen, turned me on to years ago. She, she did kind of predict that this is going to be where my customers are operating. A lot of different options around the table to them. It used to be, you know, you pick an HP server or a Dell server, but now you have different modes of connecting those compute resources, accessing them, using them, um, operating them. So the people that are sitting across the table from me these days are wearing more of that economics that I came from in my early wow. career. And they're putting these resources on the table like utilities. I mean, this was the promise of cloud computing at the end of the day is that compute memory and storage were gonna be like SIGITs, a utility that you go to your sink and turn on. But, and it's, it, it is getting there. I think we're a ways away from being able to plug in a ethernet port into a wall and get you know EC2 yeah. from Amazon directly into our house for certain things. But there is a point right. where these um, executives that I'm working with they're just thinking about things differently. They're thinking about the decision tree from how am I gonna operate this? What premise am I gonna use? How am I gonna use this workflow, this data? Who's gonna access it? And the world is just expanding to them. Yeah. And that precludes their ability to be in the weeds on everything. You cannot have an expansive mindset, but yeah. also be a micromanager about how this bit is coming through this port. So I think we're seeing the consumers of IT elevate themselves, the customers that I'm working with elevate themselves to a different type of business conversation mm -hmm. um, and really become purveyors of value, not um, technology, you know, bit and byte evaluators. And that means they're looking at the big picture of their partnerships. Yeah, they're looking yeah. at things like platforms and not products. They're looking things at things like partners, not vendors. Yeah. So that's a big trend. Um, and that goes hand in glove with the as a service trend that's out there. And we have a lot yeah. of SaaS companies to thank for that. Yeah. So uh, as we're sitting here, there's been a, um, a huge news event since the last time you and I talked, and that's uh, SVP, right? Uh, the Sun uh, Silicon Valley Bank and what it's doing. Has that, I know it's early because mm -hmm. uh, as we're recording this, it's a, it's a, it's a Wednesday afternoon and yeah. the bank, failed on Friday, but are you having conversations about that or, or are you still having conversations about the economy in general? I think it's all related. I don't know if it's from Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank in particular, but definitely I have customers that are in the crypto space that have been impacted by the availability of financing and backing for their project. I have other customers that are startups and they're having to pivot and just shift their outlook and business model for the future. Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back to the purveyor of value role that those consumers are taking more of a, uh, they're becoming more prominent in the mind of those um, end users and clients. It's that, hey, you know what? We were building out this infrastructure for a five, 600 person company. 
And we are taking a good hard look at the economic climate, the availability of financing, the appetite for investment, the cost to borrow money. And we're not going to try to boil the ocean here. We're going to distill our business operations down to uh, the most critical components. And we want to run a lean team of, you know, 70, 80 people. Yeah. So in that case, help us, um, help us operate what we've got, recapitalize what we have, maybe come in and, and look at some of our lease agreements, um, bring some uh, investment and incentives from some of the cloud providers to help us migrate to a more cost-effective, consumption-based, elastic resource model. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity. You know, some of the best companies, you've talked about this before in your podcast, were forged in the fire of these tough economic times. Yeah. And um, the smart, smart guys, the ones that are adaptable, they'll survive and they'll be stronger. And we just have to know how to work together. We can work with the guys that are, you know, hockey sticking and uh -huh. building out data centers left and right. That's a different problem to solve than the guys that are saying, how can I be more efficient with what I have and protect my cash flow? But I, I definitely see it affecting different verticals and industries for sure. Before the, before the, those banks collapsed, were you having, uh, kind of that belt tightening conversation with your mm -hmm. clients, uh, the established clients, not just, not yeah. just startup space, but the established clients. What yeah, kinds I'm of seeing that are they looking at? So there's, I mean, managed service is a big part of that mm -hmm. conversation. It's kind of, um, it, it's out there. A lot of people are talking about it and it's, you know, I'm in California. It's a tough place to be an employer. In a lot of cases, we have access to some of the, best employee protection laws. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. We have access to some of the greatest innovation that comes out of those, um, out of those regulations. But, you know, I've, I've heard uh, investors recently talking about uh, a buddy of mine's robotics company and saying, you know, hey, a company that doesn't have any employees, that's the best company out there. So there, <laughs> there is this, uh, there is this trend that people are trying to, um, find ways to leverage partnerships for some of the services that are not that are not core to their business model that are yeah. not core to their competitive advantage and that was beginning you know towards the end of last year we were yeah. having a lot more conversations about that so i would say almost 100 percent of my customers no i i think i would venture to say we just looked at this recently 100 percent of my customers have at least some initiative to find some way to break down their firewall between vendor, you know, outside party and inside uh -huh. party. I remember Jeff, you and I were working on one of my very first managed services projects. Managed services was new to me about five, six years ago. Yeah. And we were yeah. proposing uh, what was then the Blue Lock solution, the disaster recovery service solution to a customer. Right. And I'd always done, you know, arm's length kind of transactions, not, not arm's length where I wasn't involved with them, but I would sell a product, implement it with my engineers and then walk away. Yeah. And it got yeah. to the point where we were proposing our solution and the customer said, okay, so if I understand correctly, your infrastructure is going to be network connected to my infrastructure. And here I am with that background thinking to myself, oh boy, like we're screwed. This is where the customer is going to say, no way you're doing that. And I think it was Ben Miller. Ben Miller was like, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. It's going to be, you know, this layer two stretch architecture, something like that. And the customer says, okay. And I thought to myself, wow, is this really happening? Like this is a customer that's really going to let our networks intersect because this is, this is a new way of doing business for me. Yeah. And since then it's only accelerated. So you have uh, each of these customers are looking for ways to offload the context of their business and they're willing to let their guards down a little bit 
to become more intimate with their partners, to give that that visibility and access while protecting what their compliance frameworks and their you know requirements yeah. dictate. But they have to get help and they have to leverage that um, um, horizontal integration that a company like Intervision brings to offer, brings to bear and has, can offer them to become more efficient. And um, yeah, I think that's that's picking up It's in, in various degrees, whether it's, you know, help us reach this new marketplace and we don't want to expand our skill set in this area that's not core to us or are actually making a very conscious and intentional decision to contract areas of their business yeah. um, and yeah. downside. Well, and, and you were also talking about uh, startups and uh, mm-hmm. some of the conversations you've been having with them about their their IT staff, or better stated, their lack of IT staff. Yeah. What, what's going on? What's going on there? Yeah. So they're they're making a conscious decision to say, "Hey, look, we want to focus on our product, and we want to focus on our customer relationships. We know that we're a technology driven company, and but we don't feel like we need that technology." resource to be in Toronto organization. So we're not going to hire an IT manager anymore. We're going to want to partner with somebody that can bring that resource and make it a consumption-based staff augmentation offering. Someone that's going to basically be a program manager for us as an organization and help us stave off that IT resource investment as long as possible. Because we need to make sure that every dollar we're investing, every dollar, let me put it this way, every dollar that we're spending from our investors is generating revenue. Ah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. the way they have to look at it because yeah. they have to make these decisions about, you know, if you, if you pay Peter, you can't also pay Paul. So if right. Peter's building a product, that's where you want to put the money. If Paul's operating the infrastructure, that's not necessarily going to generate a dollar. It's necessary, but that's where you can, you know, invest in a partner. Now, it takes a special kind of partner to do that. It's not without its struggles. I mean, even even at Intervision, even for me, we've had to adapt to that type of a client because we've always been yeah. used to having clients that have IT teams that we can work with. So, um, but it's amazing how far these companies can get now without an IT staff, thanks to the cloud, frankly. I mean, they can do right. so much with least infrastructure or consumption-based infrastructure uh, that a developer can spin up. Um, that it's incredible. It used to be the first thing a startup would do would be, okay, we need to have someone that's at least going to handle our help desk. That's at least going to yeah. handle our, you know, firewalls on the office. Now it's like, no, no, no. We want developers and people that can build things in code and, you know, DevOps can yeah. manage their own environment. And, and if they can get away with having that person be third party that does the IT management, all the better. All the better for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing that, that has been uh, exploding in the news recently is uh, uh, chat GPT, which brings up the AI conversation, right? Uh, and not specifically chat GPT, but where does AI fit in the conversations that you're having with your clients and prospects, Song? Great question. Well, first of all, I'll say I'm an avid user of chat GPT myself. And it's, uh, you know, there's this concept, I'm trying to remember who the author I was listening to, maybe I can send you the information from the show notes, but there's this concept of a second brain that we need as humans these days. Yeah. Um, actually, the first time I heard about this was um, Hariri, the historian, the Israeli historian talking about how the pace of the world and technology has um, surpassed our biological computing capacity. And we're going to need some sort of human brain uh, human computer interface in order just to just to keep up even 
Um, so, and so the second brain concept is having that auxiliary uh, resource that you can rely on, a synthetic relationship, so to speak, that's going to help us analyze and process all the information in the world. So I've got ChatGPT open on my computer almost all the time. And yeah. um, it's really changing my approach to, uh, to business. For my customers, it's in a couple of different areas. There's AI that is um, obviously part of their product. I've got a lot of customers that are that are pursuing generative AI for their business, whether it's in the entertainment industry or in um, you know healthcare, SaaS, uh, financial services. Um, I also have customers that are using AI to help manage their systems internally, whether it's triage alerts, correlate. Uh, telemetry that's coming from their network, the health of their network. There's a lot of vendors that we partner with out there that are um, helping companies keep up with the rate of information that is being thrown off from metadata from all their devices and users. That's impossible for you to parse manually and relying on AI to help understand that. I've got customers that I mentioned, for example, in robotics that are uh, using AI data to make better automated uh, robots, for example. And, um, and you know it comes up internally when I'm dealing with my peers because AI can help us too. It can it can help us elevate our game as as partners to our customer by giving us resources off of our finger. And um, yeah, I mean I could go on and on, but uh, yeah, let me yeah. know where you want to go next on that. No, it is it is, it, it is awesome. I've I've been I've been using ChatGPT uh, as as well, and uh, you know we've been hearing about AI as far as you know AI ops and. Uh, right. using that to help manage the data center. And I think there's real value there uh, for, yeah. our, for our listeners, for your companies, uh, for our clients, for InterVision's clients. Um, this, uh, the generative AI like ChatGPT, uh, I think can help in a wide variety of ways. To me, it's just, it's just fascinating. And maybe, some, maybe I'll have to figure out how to interview ChatGPT on the podcast. I don't know how Jeff, that would work. I got to tell you, man, <laughs> what I love about ChatGPT is I think it's helping us be more human. I was having coffee with someone the other day, and what he pointed out is this concept of conceptual integration that he posits is something that AI cannot do just yet. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were referring to um, as being a, um, a capability that a consultant would bring to the table. You know, it's, yeah. it's going from what did you learn in that healthcare space that you can combine with what you learned in that construction company and bring it all together. And computers will probably be able to do that at some point, but for the time being, that's, that's something that uniquely humans can do because of the language portions of our brain. And as long as we've got a computer that we can rely on to offload some of those things that they can handle, then this allows us to really flourish. And I'm seeing that being used in, in the media and entertainment space quite a bit as technology evolved and you have, you know, people who are making movies now able to make gaming experiences in the metaverse and people who are designing uh, stories to have access to generative AI um, to really unlock their stories to the world. Um, same thing goes with ChatGPT, and I find that where I spend most of my time honing my skills now, and this relates back to you as an interviewer, is asking the right question. I think yeah, that's what yeah. ChatGPT is going to exemplify for us. Yeah. You know, I think it was Einstein who said that if I had an hour to solve a problem, I would spend the first 50 or 55 minutes trying to figure out what the right questions to ask would be. Right. And I think that's going to be a skill in and of itself with uh, the advent and the promulgation of ChatGPT is 
asking the right question, iterating that question, evolving it, and then you know, finding the right way to pose it. You know, I had friends that would say, I'm the best Googler. You know, I'm the best Googler. Well, that's the best, <laughs> you know, synthetic uh, relationship interface. That's so right. I think that that's a uh, interviewing chat GPT. That would be a good show. We should try that someday. Yeah. I'll have to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I need a voice for chat GPT. We'll figure that. Uh, we'll figure that one out. Uh, I think I know so someone can help get that. We're, we're, we're getting, we're getting close on time here, but there's one, there's one last topic I want to, I want to sure. touch on. Uh, and that's Tinder. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we use that as an analogy when we had the conversation a few yep. weeks ago. So what does Tinder have to do uh, with this whole conversation about the view, the perspective from the other side of the desk? Song? Well, I'm, uh, it, it, it feels still fresh. I'm newly married. I'm um, a COVID relationship, COVID family. And it's a completely different mindset going from dating to being married. And in that same realm, I think there's a, comp and, and that, that change in my relationship status kind of mirrored the change in my business going from a value added reseller to a managed service provider. And I've seen the benefits um, correlate as well. Yeah. So there's a different value and different benefit of being in that type of relationship um, in the same way that there's a difference value and benefit from being in the of a strategic partnership. So yeah, yeah. When I look at the way I have been doing business in the past or the way some certain clients that I'm meeting for the first time want to do business, I can just kind of tell if for them this is a Tinder relationship or if they're trying to find the one. Oh. And I'm not saying we have to go out of the courthouse, but when you approach those professional partnerships with a different mentality, you can just extract so much more value out of it. And that's yeah. really where the alchemy comes in and one plus one equals three. It sounds trite to say, but whenever I have questions about if I'm doing it the right way or if they're doing it the right way, I just think back to the dating days. You know, am I yeah. really getting down to the, to the deeper value of why I'm doing this? Do they understand why I care about what they're trying to solve for? Uh, is the is the is the customer really exploring the why of the partnership and trying to develop a path where there's increasing intimacy, um, increasing growth in what we're building here? Because when partners are or customers are treating relationships transactionally, they are wasting their time. Yeah, they yeah. they are truly uh, going to measure once and cut twice. Whereas if they are investing in that piggy bank of um, of positive interactions, they're going to be able to find uh, synergies across their environments, across their projects. They're going to be able to absorb rough patches a lot easier. So I would just challenge listeners, customers, prospects to next time they're on the phone with a vendor or talking to someone about this project, just think, hey, is this a Tinder relationship for me? or are we are we headed down for a long-term mutually beneficial strategic partnership? And yeah. I don't need to get into the details, but there's a lot of parallel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, and I think the other thing that plays into to to that, right, is if you're investing the the time in the relationship, uh, the business relationship, you're also you're also building that mutual trust foundation. Right, just Absolutely. like uh, uh, just like you you do with with someone that you're going down the the relationship path with. Yeah, uh, you're building that out. That's really all it comes down to is trust. There's trust yeah. and capabilities, and you can 
test and build both along the way, whether it's, you know, how does this person show up for a meeting and do they say, do they do what they're going to say? Um, just building that incremental trust. How do they use this information I shared with them? Are they using it against me or are they using it to support me? Um, you know, if, you, if you're constantly opening up and constantly evaluating the response to your, um, to your vulnerability and just building that trust, you're going to know um, if you're headed in the right direction. And, and trust really is the, the most valuable currency that we have in business. And it oftentimes we think about this as purely financial and, you know, black and white contracts and quotes and invoices, but really we're just people working with people and it really all comes down to trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, I, I, I know you're a, uh, you're, you're a long time listener, first time interviewee uh, to, to play on that, uh, on, on that oh, yeah. joke. Um, and you know, we're all about action here on Stasco. We like to leave our listeners with, with a call to action. So what are one or two things that our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? Um, I would say, I think that the chat GPT thing is pretty huge. I think that if, if listeners could just try keeping that tool open on their desktop, um, find a way to become to elevate your uniquely human potential and just see what happens when you lean on this synthetic relationship. It's coming whether we like it or not, and yeah. we better find a way to like it. And we have the potential to, um, to really unlock new capabilities within ourselves. So I would say the very basic, very simple, just practice asking questions before yeah. you pick up the phone and you know call your friend for something or you know call your partner and ask him for something. Try asking ChatGPT. Make yourself a better questioner because I think um, that's going to help you. And if you're in my shoes and you're a sales consultant, uh, your curiosity is really one of the driving values that you bring to your customers. And yeah. curiosity applied is good question asking. Uh, I don't know if that's the right grammatical phrase, but practice yeah. asking questions. Practice opening up uh, your emotions in your day to day life to a tool like ChatGPT and see if you can get some value and some efficiency and um, learn new things that way. It's um, I think it's going to be a skill that people are going to really be valued for in the future is how well they can interface with computers in a um, human language. Yeah. So, so you realize the next appointment you have after mm -hmm. this airs, the client's going to have gone to chat GPT and say, what questions should I ask my sales consultant about X, Y, Z? I welcome that. That would be great. That would be yeah. great. Yeah, well, Sam, hey, I, I got to thank you for, for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciated the challenge that you laid down at dinner a few months ago. Um, and uh, we're going to keep keep keeping it fresh here on, uh, on Status Code. So yeah, thank you guys you always surprise time. me. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work, Jeff. You're a true asset to us. And I appreciate all that you do. Hey, thanks, Sam. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. If you want to go directly to the show notes, visit intervision.com slash status dash go, and it'll take you right there. We'll have links and contact information there. This is Jeff Tan for Sam Fuladgard. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. 
If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.